The government plans to continue with its drive to improve public services and make what it does in the state sector more agile and productive. But as this Radio New Zealand Insight has been investigating, there's a downside to all the changes, with concerns being expressed that public servants are now too wary to offer free and frank advice, and that their democratic role is being undermined in what is regarded as one of the world's best public services. The 100-year-old public service is no stranger to attacks from government of all political colours. The National Secretary of the Public Service Association, Brenda Pilot, says it seems that no government is entirely comfortable with the public service. People are appointed to jobs. They're not subject to political control. It's not a, it's a Westminster system, not a Washington system. So, you know, I think if you're a public servant for a long time, you do perhaps get a sense that ministers come and ministers go, but you're still there. <laughs> Stores. Hang on. Look, anyone know anything about 20 clipboards for staff training? And a common suspicion is that the public service is an inefficient organisation, chewing through hard-earned taxpayer dollars, as typified in the Roger Hall radio play Glide Time. Even the minister's been here. Not well, he called in once. Yes, right, um, just after the election. Yeah, it was to show us his new suit. If the minister... I'm Philip Atali, and this week's Insight explores whether the state sector is changing to meet public demand or whether its traditional governance role is under threat. Standing at the Beehive, home to the offices of government ministers, the view is of an enclave of office blocks housing public servants. Traditionally home to many ministries, the terrace begins its climb up the hill. At number two sits the Reserve Bank, an entrance window distinctively wrapped with a blown-up image of Sir Edmund Hillary as he appears on the $5 note. Number two, the terrace also houses the State Services Commission and the Commissioner, Ian Rennie, who believes the performance of the public service can be judged by how New Zealanders feel about their dealings with government employees. We survey New Zealanders every quarter, uh, and since we started this work in 2007, uh, the overall satisfaction in public services uh, has improved significantly. Uh, the general trustworthiness of the public service and the trustworthiness that New Zealanders express in the individual public servants they deal with has also lifted significantly. Put your glasses off, ma'am, and look straight ahead at that white screen in front of you. Oh, it's very efficient, quick, saves a lot of time. The survey looks at a range of services from the relatively new SmartGate system at border control, promoted with messages like this one on the State Service Commission website, to walking in public parks or dealing with the health system. The improvement and overall satisfaction that Ian Rennie describes is an increase of five percentage points from an initial 68 in 2007 to 73 last year. Your experience um, of dealing with government online could be as simple as and straightforward as the way you use Facebook or listen to songs on Spotify or search for things on Google. During the time the survey has been running, the national-led government has introduced a cap on the number of public servants. In 2012, the State Services Minister, Jonathan Coleman, announced such government positions had dropped by nearly 3,000 from 2008. But a year later, numbers had edged up. Dr Coleman said core public service positions were just one below the limit of 36,475 but the cap remained a useful part of what he described as the overall performance story throughout the public service. Labour's spokesperson on state services, Marion Street, argues the way the belt was tightened in the face of the global financial crisis has had a negative effect not just on the staff, but also on the services on offer. The 
culture and performance of the wider state services has altered markedly, in my view, under this government. They came into power uh, pledging to strip back the public service, as they said it, take people out of back rooms, put them on the front line, that kind of, uh, that kind of rhetoric. They have certainly taken jobs out of public services. In Nelson, where I'm based, 28 jobs out of inland revenue, 22 plus out of the Department of Conservation, uh, Labour Department, Housing New Zealand, all of those services have absolutely been stripped back. So there are some concerns about that. First is the accessibility of the public to those public services. So now you can't walk in off the street in Nelson to Housing New Zealand and say, look, this is my situation, I've got a problem here. You ring an 0800 number, which is answered from Christchurch. The PSA's Brenda Pilot says union members are reporting that now there are fewer staff, stress levels are increasing. There are lots of people who tell us that they're under a lot of workload pressure, they're working longer hours, there are fewer of them, and you know, people who work in the kinds of services where you know, there are um, health lives, um, people's well-being sort of, you know, within, their, within their hands, as it were, that comes with a lot of pressure and a lot of stress. The other thing we hear most often from our members who work at the front line of service delivery is that there's still quite an old-fashioned management culture in the public service that doesn't necessarily empower those people at the front line to make the kind of professional decisions that they should be able to make. A bit of stifling of innovation. And interestingly, I think that's actually counter to what the government is, says they want. And in fact, I've personally heard Bill English speaking to groups of public servants on a number of occasions when he said, I want you to take risks, we want to see innovation. However, that sort of runs counter to the prevailing culture of quite a lot of risk management, a lot of very controlling management and accountability systems that actually conspire against that. Ian Rennie describes the capping of core staff numbers as a change process and acknowledges there can be downsides, including redundancies. The numbers in this vary. Um, uh, the overall number of, of redundancies has stepped up in the last few years. So, for example, in the year end of June 2008, there were 165 uh, redundancies. In the year ended June 2013, there were 696 redundancies. Those are still relatively small compared to you know, nearly 45,000 people in the public service, but the higher levels of redundancy do indicate a more active period of change that the public service is going through. And as we keep changing services for New Zealanders, I think some of those trends will continue. Mr Rennie says in 2012 there were 764 redundancies and 882 the year before. But he argues that it's also important to look at the results and what's being delivered to the public. The Minister, Jonathan Coleman, says the remodelling needs to continue. What we now need to do is make sure we keep up the momentum for change and we get continuous innovation uh, within the public service. Uh, we use those levers which the legislation provides to move people and money around the service in support of those goals which we've set. And it's also making sure that the, the direction set by CEs and ministers actually filters right down through the middle of organisations. I think people at the front line actually are very aware of the opportunities because they see how things like you know, shared front office initiatives practically manifest you know, the new way of doing business. But we've got to make sure in the middle of organisations that uh, the momentum for change continues.
Matthew Palmer now practices as a barrister in Chambers after starting out with holiday work in Treasury. And uh, I've served as a public servant under, I think, six different Prime Ministers. Uh, and I formed the view during that experience that the public service is an integral part of New Zealand's constitution and helps to make the government better. Dr Palmer has witnessed the public service go through different phases over time and in recent years he feels some aspects have got better. I'm thinking particularly of operational management. There's been a large focus uh, from the centre on how the public service actually gets things done and a lot of processes have improved. Dr Palmer worries that turnover in the public service has resulted in a partial breakdown in the understanding of the norms and expectations of public servants as a result of a reduction in the staff numbers, as he puts it, steeped in public service ethos. And those concerns extend to the area of policy and advice. The most important aspect of policy advice, in my view, is that advisers should give free and frank advice, irrespective of what the minister's views are. And I do think that there has been, over the last 15 years, a significant diminution in the preparedness of public servants to do that. And I think that's a problem. Why are they less prepared mm. to do that? I actually think that it's not a uh, one particular political party. I think that these tendencies are common to the, all the political parties that I've seen in power. And I think there is something in the nature of... MMP, which has influenced it, uh, and also something in the nature of today's expectations of transparency of government. Because when you have a political environment uh, under MMP where the government is able to be attacked from all parts of the political spectrum, and you have transparency and in information that is in government, so that if a public servant provides advice, that advice is able to be seen uh, by the public, as it should be, then you put those two things together and you do get a tendency for both ministers to be sensitive about what advice is given to them if they don't like it, and a corresponding sensitivity on the part of public servants not to put ministers in that position. He believes that's a problem that affects the quality of governance. If a minister does not receive free and frank advice, does not receive advice of all the options that are available or does not receive advice that there's a significant problem with the option that he or she is considering, then you can see that we will get suboptimal decisions made. Um, now, ministers must always have the ability to decline to follow advice. They are democratically elected. They have the mandate of the people. They they are elected to govern, so it is their decision. Uh, but in, in according to constitutional principle, it is the duty of public servants to make sure they have the best advice and information possible in order to make those decisions. One career public servant who is worried about the support for a free exchange of ideas is the former High Commissioner to London, Derek Leask, who retired just over a year ago. I have always prided myself on my readiness to give free and frank advice and I think that there are one or two of my colleagues who would commend me for that and one or two who would think that I was a bit too free and a bit too frank on occasion. But I 
worked for four decades uh, in the public service and the one thing that really struck me was that there was never, except perhaps for the Muldoon era, any real restrictions on the ability of public servants to offer that free and frank advice. Mr Leask was one of two diplomats criticised for unprofessional behaviour in part of the inquiry into the leaking of Cabinet papers over a proposed restructuring of the Ministry of Foreign Affairs and Trade. In the end, the report by Paula Rebstock could not establish who was responsible for a range of leaks. What it did say was that there was a strong suspicion the Cabinet papers had been passed on by a temporary staff member at the State Services Commission who used to work for the Labour Party. But in her report on the inquiry, Ms Rebstock said Mr Leask and a colleague had developed strategies to oppose the plans and to disrupt or stop the process and said they disregarded instructions for providing feedback through secure sites and instead used emails, which could be passed around. They were also admonished for communicating directly with ministers about their thoughts on the restructuring rather than going through the chief executive. Derek Leask says that criticism came as a complete surprise. As you work for 40 years, you get a very good idea of when it's appropriate to do things and when it's not appropriate. And that is exactly what I did in this case. It was entirely proper for me to be informing the head of the department of the Prime Minister and Cabinet of my views, just copying him in on views which were sent separately to the CEO. It's quite proper for me to do that. Why shouldn't he be aware of the views of the High Commissioner in London on a very, very significant change process? Mr Leask feels the report is a reflection of two opposing models, one which embraces free and robust discussions within a ministerial unit versus a system the investigation, he says, seems to favour, which involves much tighter control. This investigation has been watched carefully by colleagues in the Ministry of Foreign Affairs and elsewhere, and they of course have read carefully the report. So what you have is a lot of public servants who have seen a senior official uh, giving frank views, being criticised for communicating his views to the Minister. Um, Apparently no one should talk to the Minister unless they echo the party line. It has criticised me for copying emails to the head of the Prime Minister Department, even though that person provided evidence that he saw that as perfectly normal. So uh, the colleagues, as I say, in the foreign affairs and in the public service have seen that and they will find that they will feel that they now need to be much more careful about the way in which they let other people know their views and that must be a negative for public service and for public service decision making. The Repstock inquiry includes recommendations to improve clarity of the role of public servants, such as reinforcing to all staff the standards expected of them in communicating with MPs, including ministers. It says public servants should ensure the advice they give to ministers is robust, unbiased advice from their agency, rather than their own personal views. Derek Leask says an understanding of the core role of public servants is something that has been arrived at over considerable time. Officials do work in a political environment. That poses its challenges. Yet for all my career, New Zealand public servants have still managed to maintain uh, independence and neutrality throughout that. Now, you require a lot of ingredients to bake that particular cake. Uh, You need to have top-quality, well-argued advice coming from the public service, and you need from the public service rigorous adherence to principles uh, and rules.
When the Rebstock findings were released in December, Dr Coleman said the inquiry was a timely reminder of the responsibility that public servants have to maintain the political neutrality of the public service. Derek Leesk's concerns about the possible restrictions on the flow of information are shared by the PSA's Brenda Pilot. You certainly have always had ministers who, who are more inclined to, to welcome contrary advice than others. There's no, no question of that. I think uh, there is a view from many people that there has been a uh, reduction in the, the amount of free and frank advice and indeed the environment that encourages public servants to um, have what they call courageous conversations with ministers. There's a, there's a real, it's a really difficult thing for a public servant to tell a minister something that you know they don't want to hear and I've personally been in that situation. And it is, it is hard to do. Um, there's a lot of talk about um, self-censoring, that a lot of public servants are tailoring their advice now to what the minister's political objectives are, rather than stepping back from that and saying, here's all we know about this particular subject, here's what the evidence is, here's what the research is, um, here are the risks and the, you know, the potential benefits of what you're proposing, here are alternatives. A lot of that work doesn't happen now, and it's more about facilitating what the minister wants. That's anecdotal. I don't know of any evidence to that, but you hear that so routinely um, that you'd have to think that there's some truth to it. Labour's Marion Street believes there's been a change in the relationship between the government and the wider state sector. Some of the conventions, particularly the ability to give free and frank advice, have come under enormous pressure. In fact, have been perverted under this government. And I think that's really serious because not only is it the responsibility of public servants to deliver good, high-quality public services, and not only is it their responsibility to do what the government of the day was elected to do, which is absolutely their function, but they do more than that. And that's what the government's not taking into account. The government doesn't acknowledge that the state services are, the public services, the wider state sector, is a buffer between the absolute power of Cabinet, the executive, and the people of New Zealand. The State Services Commissioner, Ian Rennie, describes the policy part of the public service as a small but important section that delivers quality advice. But he says there is still a need to keep working to improve the policy function in the same way as other parts of the state sector. Mr Rennie believes claims are made about analysts and advisers that are not backed up by reality. It's very easy for people to uh, try and uh, make a judgment of the policy advice function by anecdote or by some reference to how they understood the past. Overall, the sense is that policy advice function of government is very sound. Uh, we need to keep improving that function. But I see lots of cases where agencies are giving you know, free and frank advice to ministers. Ministers are, as they've got a complete right to either accept or reject that advice. Uh, and we have a system in, in New Zealand where through mechanisms such as the Official Information Act, you know, it's very typical that uh, advice from officials that doesn't accord with uh, ministers' decisions is released. That all, I think, gives a sense that we have officials who think very hard about delivering professional policy advice and do so. We just need to keep improving that function. He's certain there's no threat to the position of public servants as part of the democratic process. The independence of the public service is 
and independence to deliver professional, non-partisan advice. Public servants often have, under statute, functions that they have to exercise independent decisions. But at the end of the day, uh, public servants are here to support a democratically elected government of the day to progress uh, their agenda. And that always means that there needs to be a really effective relationship between the government of the day and the public service while recognising those distinct roles and responsibilities. But Marion Street is worried that there is a lack of respect for the challenges that need to be posed by a public service doing a good job. A constructive tension between the executive and the public service is both inevitable and desirable. The constructive tension uh, is is born out of the fact that there is more to the public services role than simply doing what the government tells it to do. And that is a really important constructive tension. And I would like to see that maintained because it keeps ministers on their mettle and it reminds ministers of their obligations as public servants themselves, of their obligations to the citizens of New Zealand. Dr Coleman takes issue with any suggestion that the advice offered by public servants is anything less than robust. As ministers, we get free and frank advice on a regular basis from public servants. Uh, I think uh, the overwhelming majority of public servants are extremely professional and uh, focus on serving the government of the day. But I don't think that there's a climate of fear uh, running through the public service around the provision of advice and free and frank advice is what ministers expect. Uh, We need clear, objective, professional advice from civil servants. Helen Anderson was the chief executive at the Ministry of Research, Science and Technology for six years and is now a professional director. Having gone out now to industry, uh, the thing that's really noticeable is uh, that the, the industry really focuses on much shorter term with an eye to the long term. The public service, I think, isn't great at uh, the responsive, flexible, agile stuff, but it's actually really good at the long term. So there's quite a different focus. She applauds the focus created by the Better Public Service programme, but has some reservations about the future. I think there are some really good ideas, such as targets. So some of the result areas that have come out of the Better Public Services, those are really good for focusing the attention of those delivery agencies. But that's not enough in my view. I think that process is not a substitute for thinking and that whilst you can deliver well, you've also got to be anticipating the opportunities that are coming along. So for me, I see a lot of monitoring and assessing of government departments. I don't see a lot of inspiring, motivating and challenging them to think about those opportunities. Helen Anderson believes that process is not a substitute for thinking. We've got some of the best brains in this country running government departments or very senior roles in them, I think we're not using those brains enough. So creating a space for that to occur um, requires different ways of working. It doesn't require you filling in a template for your four-year horizon of excellence or your performance improvement framework or your better public services blueprint for result area, whatever. It requires you the space and the challenge from outside um, to think about the big issues. And to, and to figure out some smart solutions to them with the citizenry and politicians. Some of those involved in the future of the state sector think now is the time to review the objectives of the public service. 
Labour's Marion Street would like some of the legislation affecting the state services to be looked at again, acknowledging that even under previous Labour governments, proposed changes were less than perfect. I think it's time for us to have a review of the State Sector Act. When that came in, in 1986, and it was proposed, I wrote a submission on behalf of the Labour Party, I was on the executive of the Labour Party at the time, opposing the State Sector Bill as it was. As a result of that, there were some changes made, and my concern then was my concern now, that the state services hold a role in our democratic processes and our, the ability for this country to be transparent and for ministers to be accountable, which should not be infringed by any government of any colour. Matthew Palmer would like a Royal Commission of Inquiry to look into the longer-term health of governance arrangements. But in the meantime, he says what's there should be valued. In relative terms around the world, uh, New Zealand has one of the best public services in the world. And my concern is that we keep it that way. The Transparency International ranking of number one in the world is something to be held onto. My worry about the lack, relative lack, of free and frank advice now is that in the wrong circumstances it could end up being the slippery slope to politicisation of the public service. It, there are only a few steps between wanting your public servants to give you the advice that you want and wanting to appoint your public servants. And once you get politically driven appointments in the public service, then I think that you can predict a decline in the quality of, of government administration. We're simply too small to be able to afford that like the United States does. But Dr Coleman dismisses any suggestions that an inquiry is needed. I think that's a smokescreen and a waste of time thrown up by our political opponents. Uh, we're very clear of what we want from the state sector. We want better public services. They are delivering those and it's a matter of people just getting on and taking that challenge up. And I think the overwhelming majority of state servants are actually doing that. Whoever is in power after the election, the PSA's Brenda Pilot says the union will be delivering the same message. The politically neutral public service I think is somewhat at risk uh, and I think there needs to be much more vigorous efforts than I've seen to guard that. We will certainly keep pressing politicians, whoever comes into power, to um, respect the uh, political neutrality of the advice they get and to welcome free and frank advice. I think it's one thing to welcome it when you're in opposition. I think it's a little more challenging when you're a minister. And it seems that change will continue. The Prime Minister and the Finance Minister have spoken in the last month about continuing the Better Public Services programme, and Ian Rennie says changing public expectations will have an effect too. The New Zealand that uh, I was born in is now a very different place, and New Zealand will continue to uh, evolve. Our population is more diverse, uh, where we live uh, is different, our nature of family structures different our expectations about how we deliver, work with government, how we receive and, and experience services, all those things are changing and as they change the public service uh, must continue to change. And Brenda Pilot says a Victoria University survey last year of 16,000 staff members indicates those working in the public service are still motivated to do the best they can. The public service is a huge reservoir of 
knowledge, skill and talent that is orientated towards delivering the things that, public, that the public of New Zealand needs. And, uh, you know, they do that with goodwill and they do that with a real spirit. I'm Philippa Tolley and that's Insight for this week. If you'd like to contact us, you can send an email to insight at radionz.co.nz or send us a tweet at rnz underscore insight. I wrote and presented that programme. It was produced by Gail Woods with technical production by Chris Keogh.